Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rob Stelzer. I'm a partner at Grant Thornton. I'm also part of the TMA board in Toronto. And um, as part of our next installment of your craziest file ever, I'm going to be speaking with Awesome at Miller Thompson, partner Miller Thompson. And we're going to speak about uh, Quadriga, which I think is a fascinating case. So Awesome, thank you for your time today. And mm -hmm. um, I suspect most people listening to this podcast have are very familiar with the case, but maybe for the few that aren't, can you give us a little bit of background on Quadriga and, and MT's role in the case? Uh, sure, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, really looking forward to being a part of this. I uh, So a little bit about um, the background. You know, Quadriga was a Canadian cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, it, it was the second one at the time, the second one in the entire world to file for formal protection. One in Japan called Mt. Gox was the one before that. Um, at the time that it filed, it had like 70,000 plus users or on paper and uh, you know hundreds of millions in, in claims against it um, from users that deposited money. So users would deposit money, they'd exchange on it and then withdraw uh, when they were done with it. Um, the founder of Quadriga and his wife, you know, the story goes that they were in uh, India and he died uh, while he was in India uh, from Crohn's really related comp uh, uh, complications. You know, and with him died the uh, private keys to uh, the wallets, the cold wallets that were um, supposedly storing all the crypto. Um, they end up filing for CCAA protection. Uh, you know, EY gets appointed. Um, and then as monitor and uh, soon after kind of Miller Thompson got appointed um, as representative counsel for the 70,000 affected users that I mentioned, uh, they were basically the only stakeholder that in this case, there was no secured creditors uh, or anything like that. The only other real uh, creditor was the CRA. Um, and uh, so we got appointed to act on behalf of all the users. Uh, that was a pretty wild uh, scene in and of itself because it was like a whole beauty contest in front of the court thing uh, and that was different and then we had to go and appoint a committee so we had to do all these interviews and, and hear these interesting stories from people appoint a committee uh, and then report to them so that that putting that together was interesting uh, and then the file sort of went on for uh, has gone on for quite some time with some ups and downs and uh, it was a pretty high profile uh, case unexpectedly so I don't think I realized how big of a deal it would be when it was um, going on uh, and then um, you know it was covered heavily by like crypto news outlets and and this was at the time when Bitcoin was starting as you know had gone made this huge bull run um, and then actually had settled and then I think it ran again um, you know by April the company you know, the, the trustee had figured out that uh, it 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 filed it, it was basically a big fraud OSC reported the same thing and um, you know, it, it eventually it went into bankruptcy, and um, you know we continued on as rep counsel, and this, since then the trustee's been you know investigating and and trying to uh, recover assets uh, as best they can. Uh, you know, it was a he basically used the money as his own, uh, pledged it as collateral, used it to buy properties, traveled, lived lavishly, lived a lavish lifestyle. A lot of it still can't be accounted for. So that's sort of the the nutshell of what what that case is about. 
So we've got a pretty young guy here, Gerald Cotton. I think was he was, what was he, in his 20s or 30s? Yeah, I think he was early 30s at the time. Early 30s. Um, these private keys that without them, you cannot access uh, a number of the wallets dying under uh, mysterious circumstances in, in India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe one of the more unusual features of the case that Rep Council was involved with uh, related to uh, Mr. Cotton's uh, death. Maybe you could tell me a little bit yeah. more about uh, uh, about that. Sure, there was, um, so I, like I'd mentioned, we had established a committee and, you know, from the beginning of this case, there was this entire like Twitter and, and Reddit army. Reddit was a big deal, like there's this Reddit group that was, you know, it's almost like Wall Street bets. They're just typing, typing away, putting memes up, all, all that stuff. Um, I was actually the subject of, of, of meme wars for, for a little while as, as, as well. Um, so in, you know, what happens is there was this huge controversy on is he really dead? You know, there was some typos on his death certificate in India. You know, if you do some research, you find out the place he died is like the fake death capital of the world. Uh, you know, all this other fraudulent activity. Uh, he has actually a history of uh, involvement in, there was a history there that you could figure out. Um, and, and as a result, there was always this question about, is he really dead, right? Did he actually do it? Uh, did he fake his death and, and run off with the money? Um, so over time, you know, it, it, it sort of became a thing where we, you know, put together, we sent a letter to the, to the, to the RCMP sort of, you know, we our clients had asked us to you know really look into this issue and, and and do something. So what we ended up with was, you know, hey, why don't we send an you know a letter to the R RCMP and say, you know, you do it, right? We you know here's some re reasons you you know that it makes sense to to look into this, and you know you, we think you guys should do this. Um, so we wrote a letter and um, enclosed uh, a, a background materials uh, based on like publicly available information on on kind of the players behind Quadriga and. And sort of what their histories are and and you know it doesn't look you know, there's a lot of information out there if you actually look um and and we sort of said you know this kind of suggests that uh you know there's a maybe uncertainty around whether he is in fact deceased or not and, and we think you should look into this and, and and figure it out i don't think we actually said dig up the body or anything like that but we definitely implied that um and you know at the time we we when we sent off that we sent off a letter to the rcmp and then usually we were communicating with by email to our our uh, users, but this time around we said, hey, let's not you know, let's not communicate this that even broadly disseminate it like that. So why don't we just you know take our letter and kind of put it on our website just so that you know it's there, and uh, you know sort of we did that, and within minutes, like the Twitter storm started. I didn't even know that people were watching that carefully. I knew it was watched, but I didn't realize. You know, they must have had trackers and scrapers and you know like actual right like tools AI. that were going like, into tools, your website yeah, like letting yeah. them know i didn't realize that that was happening and within minutes we had uh you know uh, like people tweeting about it and then within minutes of that we had you know it had gotten you know george kinsman the trustee had emailed me saying hey what's this letter can you can you please send us a copy of it and then within you know within an hour of that i had you know my my first news outlet person email to ask what's going on, looking for comment. And then within 24 hours, like my phone, or I mean, within an hour, our phones were blowing up. Mine, Greg, Greg's as well, uh, uh, Miller Thompson's as well, like we're blowing up with requesting comments. And we had everybody under the sun 
uh, reach out, right? You know, anyone you can think of that's worth mentioning uh, reached out uh, asking for comment. It was actually uh, frightening uh, for, for someone who's never uh, experienced something like that before. Uh, unexpectedly, I didn't expect that. You know, in hindsight, I probably, you know, probably wouldn't even put it up on the website if I if I knew that that was going to be the result. But you know, with or or knowing that you know, take some training ahead of time and, and figure out what you're supposed to do. Ultimately, we just did nothing. We ignored all of them and and kept on going. Um, but you know, it was a wild, wild storm. Um, if you have any questions? Into, look at our letter. Right. Yeah, that, that's what I think that's what caused the Netflix documentary sometimes. So just putting some questions around it. I actually had someone from Netflix reach out as well. Uh, and we didn't talk to them either. <laughs> yeah. And and tell me, so with you know the suspicious circumstances under which uh, Mr. Cotton allegedly died, with the letter that received so much scrutiny and attention from the media, what was the response from the RCMP that received this letter with the request to exhume his body? Uh, it was, you know, as dry as it was like the complete opposite of, of what happened before that, which, you know, this was just a dry, you know, thank you for your letter. We re acknowledge receipt. Period. Full stop. And then uh, they never, uh, you know, let us know that they, they whether they did or they didn't. I assume they didn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, fast forward now, like I feel like in this world, if, if someone with that much no who gets to that level of notoriety with a Netflix documentary about them. Um, if they were walking around anywhere in the world with other people, um, where other people are, you know, someone would have a smartphone and, and had taken a video of it. So I have to think that maybe maybe it's the case. Who knows? Well, fair enough. Maybe we'll never know. Yeah, maybe we'll never know. Well, maybe I think we'll this know. definitely qualifies as uh, <laughs> as a craziest story. Um, you know, asking for a body to be dug up. That's that's pretty intense. I did uh, research. I, I, we actually had to do research on how to do it. Um, and it was the most uncomfortable research I've ever had to do. Or read. About like the period of time that you yeah, had. Because yeah. obviously you couldn't make this request 10 years, yeah. well, 10 years after. Yeah, we, there's, a, there's a specific time before decomposition. And we actually referenced that in our, in our letter. I'm looking at it right now. Um, and, but then there's an actual like, whole legal process. Like if, if you want to do something like this, you know, there's this is you know, there's a certain body that's supposed to do it, and and here's how you there's a process to to ask them to do it, and if not, there's a court process that you can use, and there's like a whole uh, process around this. So just kind of figuring that out was not something as a insolvency lawyer I, I ever thought that I would be doing. Well, that's the beauty of insolvency, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I like this job so much. Nice. Well, thank you, Awesome. Thank you for sharing and uh, your story. And uh, I think it's one that will definitely resonate with people and sort of, you know, a, a, another example of why this profession is so interesting. Thanks, good. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Cheers.